Brothers and sisters, I'd invite you to take your Bibles this afternoon, and we'll read together from the letter to the Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we read this in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 33, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, about what is the true repentance or conversion of man. Colossians chapter 3. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. 
and there is no partiality. Brothers and sisters, our text this afternoon is God's word as we together confess it and summarize it. In Lord's Day 33, as you've been giving attention to the Heidelberg Catechism, you've come to the new section that deals with our thankfulness, the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 33, we confess, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Thus far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the question that our our catechism raises this afternoon about what is true repentance is is an important question, and it raises in our mind the, the possibility of fake repentance. You know, if you ask what, what is true repentance, well, it implies that perhaps there is such a thing as false repentance, that there's a, a phony knockoff job that's not real. As a shopper, sometimes you might have that, that terrible feeling when you purchase something only to realize later that you, you didn't actually purchase what you thought you were buying. You, you got a, a fake or an imitation. It's a terrible feeling to be taken in, a feeling of, of betrayal, of being ripped off. But knowing what is true repentance, of course, is much more important than losing a few dollars. No, for true repentance, true conversion is vital for our life and for our future. Unless we truly repent, unless we are converted, we cannot be saved. The Lord Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Luke 13, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what is, what is true repentance? That's a, a vital question. The Lord even warns us that there will be, at the end of time, those who are persuaded, are convinced that they are believers, when in actual fact they are not. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Now, the reason we ask this question, what is true repentance, is not in the first place, well, it's not to make us nervous. This is the confession of a believer, right? The Heidelberg Catechism is one of our confessions. It's what we, we believe and confess together as Christians. No, the, the reason why we ask this question is to grow in our understanding and in our comfort, actually, in our comfort in the Lord's work in our life. So looking at what is true repentance helps us to see that work that the Lord is doing in our hearts, to recognize his work and to see how we truly repent from our sin and begin to live in a new way. And so I bring to you God's word with this question, what is true repentance? And we'll see the three aspects from the Lord's Day this afternoon. It's dying, coming to life, and working. So first, it's it's dying, the dying of the old nature. The Bible uses a a number of different words for this. And the word repentance has the idea of a, of a total change of direction. Like you're, you're heading down the highway and you, you make a 180 and, and go in the, completely the other way. And when we look at Scripture for what this, this 180, what this repentance looks like, very quickly we learn that, that we're not talking about a, a minor change. We're not talking about uh, a minor renovation or tweaking a few behaviors. No, biblical repentance is a, is a major change of life. The image that the catechism uses really reinforces that. It's, it's dying, and it's coming to life. The dying of the old nature. Our catechism uses the word uh, conversion. Now, the word conversion is sometimes used to refer to the beginning of a person's Christian walk. The Apostle Paul is traveling to the city of Damascus, and he's intent on persecuting Christians, And then the Lord Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, and the apostle, his life is turned around. He is converted. Instead of going to persecute Christians, he now goes and, and becomes a preacher of the gospel. So that's a, a massive change, a conversion. But the catechism is using this word conversion not only to refer to the, the beginning of a Christian life, but to, begin to refer to the, the ongoing process of change. It's dying. It's, it's, it's ongoing. That's what true repentance or conversion is. We'll look first at that aspect of dying. It's our, our dying of the, the old nature. There's a recognition that each of us are born with a sinful nature. This is our, our old nature, uh, a sinful fleshly nature that is rebellious against God. Now, people, we're all, we all have different natures, you might say. Some people are, are friendly and outgoing by, by nature. They, they love being around others. Other people might be a bit shy and a bit more reticent around others. That's, that's your nature. Some people by nature are, are natural athletes, Others are naturally good at math, you might say, or, or naturally good at English. But one thing that each of us are good at, one, of us, uh, each, one thing that each of us are experts at from birth is sin. That's, that's in our nature. We're, we're professionals by nature at sin. Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's David's confession in Psalm 51, and it is true about you and me as well. 
of that nature, it, it shows itself in the way in which we live. From the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, and so from our heart bubbles forth words and, and also now actions that are sinful. The apostle in the section that we read in 1 Corinthians 3 describes this nature to the Colossians. In verse 5, he describes some of the actions of this sinful nature. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he's talking about, about sexual immorality. So that's sexual activity outside of God's design, which is marriage between a man and a woman. And he lists other things such as impurity and and passion, Uh, covetousness, so that's somebody who who is greedy, desiring more uh, things that the Lord has not given to them. And those are the things which come naturally to us. Each of us has that sinful nature. Today, people would say, if, if something comes naturally to me, it can't be wrong. If this is the way I was born, well, then it, it must be okay. I was, I was born that way. Born with these desires. They cannot be wrong. But the Bible says, no. No, that's not true. No, our natural desires, because of the fall into sin, because of that sinful nature with which we're born, our natural desires are not good. We have sinful desires by nature. You see, it's not hard, as as we all know, it's not hard to be selfish. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort for me. It's actually quite easy to be a glutton and to overindulge in food. It's not hard to to gossip and to slander other people. It, it, It appeals to us in some way. To, to break other people down. It comes naturally to us. It feels, it feels right. It feels good to our sinful nature. And so repentance is when we, our eyes are open to that fact, when we realize that our sin is offensive to God and we see the, the misery that comes from our sin. You see, we don't always think about the consequences of our actions. Yeah, particularly when we're, we're younger, we don't always look forward and see where the road that I'm traveling, where that road is going to take me. And then when our eyes are open to the, to the consequences of our behavior, well, then, then we're sorry. When we see how much it, it costs others, or when we see the, the hurt and heartache that our sin has cost them, then we're deeply sorry. But the Bible says Christian repentance is, is, is more than that as well. Christian repentance is not only recognizing when we've, we've hurt other people. No, it's recognizing also that we've sinned against God, that we've grieved him, that we live our lives before his face and that he sees and he knows everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do. And so the Holy Spirit opens our eyes by the gospel and we see how our sin offends God and his holiness. The God who loves us, who created us. The God who has blessed us with all things in Jesus Christ. David 
describes that in a striking way in, in Psalm 51. You, you know the background behind, behind Psalm 51, that David had committed adultery and murder, and then he's, he's confronted with his sin. And his, son most, his sin most certainly had, had hurt another family, another couple, Bathsheba and her late husband. But he says, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so he recognizes that his sin, it, it's sin against the Lord. God who sees all that he's done, who knows it all. And so repentance is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we've offended God by our sin. But it doesn't stop there. No, as our catechism says, it's when we, when we see that, then we hate it and we want to flee from it. We hate how our sin offends God and we want to get rid of it, to stop it and live differently. Do you flee, brothers and sisters, do you flee from sin? Sometimes we can recognize some sin in our life, a particular area of temptation. Maybe it is with our words, the way that we're talking or, or the way we're thinking. We can recognize it. And it, it's got to stop. But do we, do we flee from that sin? Think of Joseph in the house of uh, Potiphar. The Bible describes Joseph, how he's uh, set on to by Potiphar's wife, how she wants to lie with him. And Joseph says, says, no, no. But then they're in the house by themselves together, and she grabs hold of his coat and says, lie with me. And Joseph, what does he do? He flees. He runs. Flees from sin. Sometimes you might say, I, I'm, I'm struggling against this sin. When actually, in fact, we're, we're coddling it and enjoying it. Are there things that you can do to, to flee from a sin? The Lord Jesus speaks about if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And the, the meaning of that text is that we ought to, to take radical action to flee from sin. If you, if you understand what sin is and you, you actually do hate it, then flee from it. So it might mean deleting that app. It might mean getting rid of that smartphone. We say that, that's radical. Sure. It might mean ending that relationship. It might mean a, a change of work. It might mean opening up and confessing with a, a Christian brother or sister and helping them help you to, to flee from sin. It's radical language, right? To, to hate your sin and to flee from it. Your father sent his son to rescue you and to pay for your sins. The Lord has been so patient with us. Your God gives you all that is good, and by his spirit he equips you to fight against sin. When writing to the Colossians, the apostle uses 
the, another image for this process of, of getting rid of sin. He talks about putting it to death or how we, we've died. But also he, he uses a, an imagery of clothing, how you, you take off and you put on. He says that the sin is, is like that dirty clothes that you take off and throw in the laundry hamper at night. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. You got to put it all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Again, anger is one of those things that can come so naturally to us, right? Somebody, somebody says something and it's boom, your anger is right there. It's natural. It's, it's what you feel. But he says, sinful anger, you've you got to put it off. You've got to get rid of it. He talks about our language, the, the, the way we talk, obscene talk, slander. To, to put that off. Notice that in this passage to the Colossians, he, the apostle is very specific about sin. There's, there's a number of lists of different things that they need to put to death and that they need to take off, get rid of. It's easy for us to kind of rattle off, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I know I've got some, some things that I need to change. Like it's easy to be vague and, and general about sin. But the Word of God isn't, right? It's, it's specific. And so also you must be specific with your sins. Put them off. Put them to death. what it truly means to repent. That's what it means to be converted. It's not, it's not a couple tweaks here or there. It's not some behavior modification. No, but it's, it's a change of heart, getting rid of what we naturally want to do. Grieving, fleeing from it, hating it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we do. It's not our own strength, but it's God's strength. He does this throughout our life because Christ redeems us by his blood, but he also renews us by his Holy Spirit. That's what you, you heard of last week with, with Lord's Day 32. He redeems us by his blood, but he also renews us by his Spirit. And so with repentance, we have that, that change of direction, that, that 180 degrees where we're, we're going one way, And then we go the other way, a change of mind, taking off the old man, putting on the new man. And that brings us to our second point. It's coming to life. So what is true repentance? It's dying, dying of the old nature, and it's coming to life of the new nature. Our catechism says it's a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. So the Christian life isn't only sorrow, it isn't only grieving for our sins, but by the Holy Spirit, we also have true joy worked in our hearts. Joy in what God has done and what he is doing in our lives. When you're down and discouraged, what, what kind of things cheer you up? When you're, when you're struggling or had a bad day or had a bad week, what kind of things cheer you up? Maybe spending some time with your friends or your family. Maybe going for a long walk, getting good rest. 
Maybe you enjoy doing a bit of clothing shopping or doing a bit of woodwork in the shop. Those things might give you a bit of a boost and cheer you up. But by themselves, of course, they cannot give lasting joy in our life. Those things are our gifts from the Lord. But on their own, they, they cannot last, and they cannot give lasting joy. Christian joy is solidly founded on God and on his promises and his work in us. See, all these other things can come and go in our lives. They can change in our lives. But God does not change. And so our repentance is, is a dying, but it's also a coming to life, and it's a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. The Bible often urges us to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Also Psalm 5, but all who take refuge in you, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. So in the Bible, you are commanded Commanded to rejoice. How is that possible? How, how could the Bible command us to, to rejoice? You know, if, I'm not, if I'm not happy, how can, how can I be commanded to be happy? Can you command a, a feeling? Well, we know from the Scriptures that a Christian will not always be happy, per se. That there will also be times of sorrow and grief in our life times when loved ones pass away, or times when there's sickness that really, really gets us down. You might experience financial pressure or, or difficult stresses at work or in your family life. But as a Christian, we still have hope and we still have reason for joy. Even when, when difficult things come in our life, we do have reason for joy, reason for thankfulness, and what God has done, and his promises for us in the future. And those are things that don't change. Those are things that don't go up and down. No, they're, they're solid. And so that's a, a solid foundation that a Christian has through all the ups and downs of life, a solid foundation for joy and hope in the Lord. We look forward to an eternal future with the Lord. We can rest in God's sovereign, wise control over our life. And so the apostle writes to the Colossians and he tells them to be thankful. He says that they're actually to, to sing and, and sing together. Sing out of thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And so as God's people, we gather for worship and we sing. We sing and we rejoice in the Lord and what he has done. And so you see that, that true repentance, that it, it invades every aspect of your life. It invades your, your thinking. It invades your, your feelings. It also invades our, our actions, right? It's, true repentance is not just saying sorry and shedding a few tears. No, it, it results then in, in concrete change. So in this fleeing from sin, but also pursuing what's right. Our catechism says it's a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works.
right? So it results in a, a different way of living, good works. The Apostle Paul, again, makes that very specific for the Colossians, what, what this looks like in their lives. And from verse 18, he deals with people in, in different circumstances and different relationships. He begins with, with husbands and wives and how true repentance, true conversion, it changes the way a marriage relationship looks and what it, how it works. The husbands are, are to be loving to their wives, not, not harsh or bitter, but loving. And that wives are then able to, to joyfully submit to and follow the leadership of their husbands. We read in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Biblical repentance also invades the relationship between parents and children. It also changes the way parents and children interact. Children need to to learn to obey their parents, to submit to them, not to have a big mouth, not to to want to be a law unto themselves and to, to have their own way, but to be willing to submit to their parents' good instruction. So the apostle writes in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The apostle shows how true repentance, it also changes not just your family life, but also changes what, what happens at work and how you, how you do your job. How a, a good work ethic, which does not come naturally, right? Laziness comes naturally. It's, it's quite easy to be lazy. But true repentance also changes the way we work. Now you work for the Lord. You work desiring to please the Lord. You do your best, not just because it's to your own advantage. You do your best, not just because you're going to get in trouble if you don't, but you, you, you work to please the Lord. And so he speaks to bond servants, and he says that they are to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So heartily, that means sincerity, enthusiastically. There it is, sincerity to their work because they're doing it for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, do you understand how repentance, true conversion, how it isn't just a, a, minor, a minor change, but it's a, it's a radical change of life worked by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that 180 degrees where we, where we go the opposite direction from what we naturally would do. That the, that the sin that naturally lives in our hearts, that we're, we're progressively more and more putting that to death, and that we're coming to life to a new way of living by the power of this Holy Spirit. And that, that affects our, our families, it affects our marriages, it affects our work. We live for a different purpose in all good works. Now the final part of our Lord's Day this afternoon uh, nails down what those good works actually look like. 
So we're, we're living in a new way. We're living according to good works. But, but what are those good works actually? What, what actually do they look like? And that's our third point. We've seen how true repentance is dying. It's living. And finally, it's working. What do those works look like? Our catechism gives three criteria for what makes a good work good. The first talks about the source, the source or motivation behind what we're doing. And the source is faith, only those which are done out of true faith. So for a good work to be good, it has to come from a response to what God has done, a response to the gospel worked by the Holy Spirit, that by faith we, we live this way. Now, you all have perhaps have had the experience where somebody's done something for you or maybe given something for you, given something to you. But you know that but the reason why they're doing it or the reason why they're giving it is because they want you to give or you to do something in return. And then it... Well, it's no longer a gift, is it? All right, gifts are, are given freely. No strings attached, but this, this has strings attached. And so also our, our good works, to be good, they have to be coming from faith, from a response to what God has done. We read in Hebrews 11, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's the, that's the source the catechism refers next to the standard. That means they are in accordance with the law of God. The standard of what makes something good is, is not what I think is good or not what you think is good. It's not what I feel in my heart is right. No, the standard always is what does God say in his word is right. That's good. See, many of the things that the Bible teaches are, are countercultural today. Many of the laws that the Lord has given us in his word, the norms and values of his word, are not normal today for many people. In fact, some would consider them offensive and not think they're good at all. Things like staying sober on Friday night or a young person saving themselves for marriage Those aren't, aren't considered normal. Why, why is that good? Well, what God says is good, is good. John 14 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So if you love God, then you follow his commandments. Not our own opinion or not the, the opinions or precepts of, of people. And so that's why over the next couple of weeks, the Lord willing, you'll give attention in the Catechism preaching to the Ten Commandments. From Lord's Day 34 onwards, you'll give attention to the commandments that the Lord has given us in his word. And so that we understand, we understand what God requires of us. What does God say is good? There's no mystery about it. It's not unclear. No, it's very clear in his word. And so as Reformed churches, we give attention every year to God's commandments because that's the standard for what is good. So we've had two criteria, the source, which is faith, the standard, which is God's law. 
And finally, there's a, a purpose between, behind our good works. The purpose is that they're done for the glory of God. They're done for the glory of God. Now, that's not easy for you and I to do. Our Lord Jesus warned his disciples. He says, be careful that you do your good works, that you don't do them to be seen by other people. Right? That when you, when you give a, a gift or a charitable, when you do a charitable deed to help somebody else, be careful that when you're doing that, you're not doing that in order to receive the praise and adulation of people. That's, that's hard for us because of our sinful nature. He says, in that situation, you've, you've already received your reward. And so our good works are to be for God's glory. So three criteria. The standard, or the, the source, the standard, and the purpose. And so real repentance is not simply refurbishing a few of our morals. Real repentance is not yeah, getting rid of a couple bad habits here and there. It isn't just affirming a number of theological statements. No, it's a transformation of our life. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit working that change in our life progressively, more and more, so that, we, that we're sorrowed and, and grieved by our sin. And that more and more we delight and have joy in doing what's right. Live according to his law. Live according to his word. Now, why, why is it so important to be able to recognize what true repentance is? Why do you need to know what is the, the true repentance or conversion of man and, and what are good works? Well, someone who is not a Christian needs to learn what true repentance is to recognize that they need to repent and turn to the Lord from their sin. They need to believe the promises of God and find life in him. Someone who is a Christian recognizes that we still have a long way to go, that we are so often weak and that our, our motives are mixed, that our, that our good works are imperfect and tainted with sin. And so we need to cry out to the Lord for his grace and depend upon his Holy Spirit so that more and more we grow. But this is also very hopeful and comforting for us. Sometimes when you take a test, you might get a bit nervous. If you got a test at school, you, you might be a bit nervous. Am I going to pass? But Christians need not be nervous because this is God's work in our life true repentance and conversion we don't do by our own power, but we depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit, working through his word. And this is a, an ongoing project. As a Christian, we, we stumble and fall, but we, we continue on. This is not something that you'll do in a, in a year or in 12 years like school, but it's, it's throughout your whole life. We're ongoingly dying and, and coming to life. Through his word, our Lord works to convert us and to grow us. We serve a gracious God who is at work in us until the end when we'll finally be totally renewed in the image of our Savior. 
And so you know the direction you need to go. And by God's strength, you can walk in this way. Pray for the power of the Lord to love and to enjoy living according to God's will in all good works and rejoice in God's goodness to you. As the apostle writes, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.